Thank you, Kathleen. That was beautiful. Just beautiful. Thank you, ladies. Pastor Jason, musicians. Beautiful singing this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 8. We're continuing our study verse by verse through the Gospel of John. And we have, of course, that wonderful promise that, that uh, goes along with just <clears throat> what Kathleen sang about. His promises. He keeps his promises. And one promise is in this book, if we'll read and learn this book and live this book, our faith will grow and we can go forward in our Christian faith. And so we're calling it not only the Gospel of John, which it is, but it's a journey. A journey of faith, growing in faith. Seeing, and, and in these pages, we see a little more who Jesus is. We see his heart, his mind, and, and in his ministry. Well, uh, let's come to uh, chapter 8 and verse 31. Verse 31. Look at it. Jesus is speaking now to a mixed group, and that I mean some believers, some unbelievers, some people who are antagonistic against him, and some who maybe haven't decided one way or the other, some religious rulers, some common folk, or just a mixture of people in this crowd. Verse 31 says, then, then Jesus, then said Jesus to those which believed on him. Verse 30 said, in that crowd there was some who believed on him. And Jesus said unto those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They saith unto him, We be Abraham's seed, or that is, we're Abraham's descendants, and we're never in bondage to any man. We're not slaves or servants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. We're Abraham's children. We're Abraham's descendants. So he says, How sayest thou, ye shall be free? We don't need what you're offering, Jesus, this one group says, because we're Abraham's children. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together today. Make it profitable, I pray. Thank you for the beautiful singing. And thank you for Kathleen's ability not only to sing and play, but to write beautiful uh, songs, and we thank you for that precious song today. Speak to us now through your word, we ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Jonathan Edwards, you've heard the name, I guess, many times, one of the famous Christians in American history. He, his preaching, evangelistic services brought in, ushered in what we call in American history the the uh, the Great Awakening, uh, awakening. and uh, he was instrumental in that and led in that Great Awakening. He was a scholar and a theologian. He was a man who loved the Lord and loved His Word. He uh, preached that famous message. You've, you may have even seen it in print and read it. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. He also wrote many books. And when he was 55 years old, just after he had taken the position of president of Princeton, he, uh, he passed away and died. So he didn't live a long life but died at 55. 
There's an interesting story told about his descendants. Those that came from him as the descendants of Abraham in our text. The descendants of Jonathan Edwards. One of the stories told is that in 1874, about 120 years after Jonathan Edwards died, a meeting took place uh, in September with his descendants. About four or five hundred people were gathered together on that occasion. Big tents were put up and people... Uh, they ate together and celebrated their great heritage together and how God had blessed them. Yale University um, uh, put this together and, and supplied uh, food and so forth. And they looked at things like uh, Sarah Edwards' wedding dress. And they, they had there the bowl that Jonathan Edwards ate his porridge out of every night and uh, also they were gathering there where the home place was and the house was pretty similar to the way it was pretty much the way it was when when uh, Jonathan and Sarah lived there it was a great gathering a lot of the ancestors were professors and business executives and government officials and ministers all in all it was a beautiful day 26 years later about 150 years after the death of Jonathan Edward a man by the name of Winship wrote a book did the research and wrote a book about Jonathan Edwards and his descendants and here's some of the things that made this book so famous um, these are the, some of the people who came out of this marriage and out of this home. This home that loved Christ and loved the Word of God. And here's kind of the uh, conclusion of some things. He says there, there came from that marriage 13 college presidents, 65 college professors, 100 lawyers, and a dean of an outstanding law school, 30 judges, 36 doctors, physicians, and a dean of a medical school. 80 held uh, public office. Among them, three United States senators, mayors of three large cities, governors of three states, a vice president of the United States, and the controller of the United States Treasury. A Christian heritage can be a great advantage. If you have grown up in a Christian home, how thankful you should be. We should give praise to the Lord for our Christian heritage. Your parents may not be perfect. No, I take that back. They're not perfect because none of us are. But we should be thankful for that Christian heritage. But not everybody in that family turned out the way most of them did. One, by the name of Aaron Burr, didn't turn out as well. He, uh, he, was, the, he was the grandson of Jonathan Edwards the son of Jonathan Edwards' daughter. 
he grew up and was fairly it was successful in politics and uh, financially early in his life but then he challenged Alexander Hamilton to a duel you may remember this in your American history and uh, and they had a duel it was illegal to do so but their tempers were so hot they had the duel and uh, Burr killed Alexander Hamilton the historians say those also who have read his diaries that he showed no remorse of killing his it really was his political rival so political rivals being mean to each other is nothing new today they killed each other in that duel and uh, Burr was uh, lost his political standing with everyone because of what he had done he was never prosecuted for it uh, even though it was illegal to duel after that he tried to make himself uh, an emperor of Mexico and he was arrested on numerous occasions for treason and he was he always got off but the people were so convinced he was a uh, a traitor that uh, they uh, on occasion threatened to hang him themselves because of that he had to flee the country lived in Europe for some years he was also a womanizer, immoral man. His diaries tell of his encounters with prostitutes. He even recorded in detail what he, what he paid them. He eventually came back to the U.S. and lived in obscurity his last years in the U.S. and died, as one author said, a miserable man living a miserable life and died a miserable death and yet he came from this same heritage of Jonathan Edwards and his wife Sarah and this wonderful wonderful family I guess the lesson is this it's a good thing to have a Christian heritage to come from a Christian family that's a wonderful thing and we should honor that and thank God for it but you still have to make your own decisions somewhere along life you have to choose Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and then after that you have to make decisions all through life am I gonna follow him with all my heart am I gonna love him and serve him with all of my heart am I gonna get into his word and let him teach me decisions have to be made and so even coming from this great ancestry you still have to make your own wise decisions well that's the way the Jews were in Jesus day they thought because they came from Abraham they were okay they didn't have to make those great decisions they felt like they were the spiritual elite of the world and Jesus here discusses that with them before we get to them though he says something to believers you and I are believers many of us and he says something to us notice again in verse 31 Jesus then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him if you 
continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, or you're my genuine disciples. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Two verses, simply put, quite profound. There's a difference between being a believer and a disciple. A believer is somebody who has rested their faith on Christ and Christ alone for salvation. They have forgiveness of sin and a home in heaven. And that's glorious. But the word disciple means a learner. You're learning from the one to whom you are a disciple. It means learner. And it means follower. So it means you're following Christ. And it it means more than just hanging around. There were people who followed him physically in his day. Maybe they had nothing better to do. Maybe they were interested to see what he would say next. Or maybe they uh, liked the thrill of thinking there might be a miracle around the corner. And uh, so they followed him in that sense. They were just hanging around. People in the church today are just hanging around. Some of them. But the word disciple means a follower who has committed his life to that person whom he's following. And has surrendered to that person and to that person's teaching. That's a disciple. Let's be sure we're not only saved. Let's be sure we're disciples of the Lord Jesus. Now the key to being a disciple is his word. Look back at it again. He said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The truth. Every, every now and then, you, you might see on a, on a movie where a law enforcement officer is interviewing a criminal. I've heard this several occasions, you know, several occasions over many years. And he uses this verse and says something like this. Tell the truth. If you tell the truth, the truth will set you free. Well, in that particular circumstance, the truth might get you 10 years in prison. The truth here is not the truth about a certain circumstance. It's the truth of God's Word. The truth will set you free. The Word will set you free. The Word of God I want to encourage all of us again to be sure we're in the Word of God and reading it and studying it and living it and loving it. We could spend a long time right here, but let me just throw out some quick thoughts. The Bible promises when we get in the Word, it promises us to increase our faith, to increase our joy, our comfort, our fruitfulness, our Christ-likeness. Our growth spiritually. Which one of us doesn't need more joy, more peace, more Christ likeness? The Bible is the instrument God uses to bring about this sanctification, this changing us from who we are to be who we are uh, more like Christ and more and more like Christ. So let me encourage you. If you haven't, if you don't have a Bible reading or study going on right now, let me encourage you again to start it over. You may say, well, I've started that over and over again. That's okay. Just start it again and uh, get in the Word again. I want to encourage you to start with the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. 
when translators translate the Bible into a new language, usually they translate the book of Mark first. So from the book of Mark, go to Acts. And then from the book of Acts, go right through the New Testament. Now between every book of the New Testament, read five Psalms, five chapters. And I'm talking about reading just one chapter a day. I don't, I'm not talking about speed reading, see how quick you can get it done. Read it, let it soak in, think about it, pray about it, and ask God to show you what's going on. I know people say, I, I just, when I read the Bible, I don't understand. Well, ask the Lord to help you to understand, and then read it and take what you get. You won't understand every part of it. No one does. You will understand enough, though, to increase your joy, your fruitfulness, your Christ-likeness. So get in the Word. And then, he says it will make you free. When we get saved, we're free from the guilt of sin and from the punishment of sin. Well, that's enough to make you want to shout and sing and rejoice in it. We are free in that very second. We put our faith in Christ. We are free from the guilt and the penalty of sin. But the power of sin is a process, getting free from that power of sin in our lives. And it's the Word that helps free us. God uses that to free us from the power of sin. He will set you free. So let's get into the Word. Now, we've got a lot of verses to cover. I have to move quickly from this point on. Look at verse... 33, they answered him, we be Abraham's seed, descendants, we're never in bondage to any man. Think of the irony of that. We've never been in bondage to any man. They were in bondage in Egypt, to Assyria, to Babylon, to Greek, and to, and to, uh, to Rome. At that very moment, they were in bondage to Rome. They just didn't see it that way. Jesus didn't even remind them of those human bondages he's more concerned with a spiritual bondage Jesus answered them verily verily I say unto you whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin the word committeth there is in the present tense in the Greek it indicates continual action they who sin and continue to sin are they who, that which sin habitually are they that are always sinning they are servants or slaves to sin. That's what the truth will set you free from. The truth of God's word. And uh, now, now he's speaking to the crowd in general. When he spoke there to his disciples, uh, to his believers, other people were standing and hearing. Now these other people are speaking up and saying uh, that we're not in bondage and so forth. And then verse 35, And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. Think about a, a home in Jesus' day. People who are working there and serving there are even a slave there. They could be let go. They weren't always a part of that household, that family. But the son's always a part of the family. And then in verse 36, If the son therefore shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. The son would take care of the father's business. He would be the right-hand man to the father. And uh, when the father got where he couldn't take care of things as, 
as much, the son would take on more responsibility. But he, if he said you were a, a part of that family forever, then you were a part of that family forever. You were adopted in. And so it is, as believers, we've been adopted into the family of God and then spiritually born into the family of God. So the son sets you free, you're free indeed. I know, Jesus says, that you are Abraham's seed, descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. Now we know from later in the passage, he's talking about Satan, the devil, as their father. They don't, of course, see that at all, and even when he says it more clearly later on. Notice, they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. He's saying you're physical descendants of Abraham. But you're not spiritual descendants of Abraham. If you were, you would listen to the truth. Abraham listened to the truth. Abraham, remember, lived in one of the most wicked cultures on earth. And God spoke to him and told him to get up and leave and go to another place. And he listened and he obeyed God. Jesus is saying if you were, if you were really his spiritual descendant, if you lived like Abraham, you would be obeying my word. Just as Abraham obeyed God's word. I am God with you. And then verse 40. But now you seek to kill me. That's just the opposite of what Abraham would have done. What an extreme that is. Claiming to know God and love God, they want to kill God's messenger and son. Verse 41, you do the deeds of your father. Then saith they unto him, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Now they've moved their, their analogy of their faith from Abraham. Abraham to God, saying God was their father. Notice they say, we were not born of fornication. This is probably a, a, uh, a critical stab at the rumors that Jesus was born of fornication. And uh, it was a, a way of humiliating him. Jesus doesn't even comment on it. He just goes on with what he's trying to get them to see. Uh, Jesus saith unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me. Now here's a great statement of Scripture. Here's how you know if God is your father, if you love Jesus. If you don't love Jesus, something is seriously wrong. Jesus is the, uh, the friend of sinners, the companion of saints, the friend that sticketh closer than a brother, our Savior, our Lord, our Master, our best friend. Loving Jesus is at the very center and core of what Christianity is and is all about. Loving Jesus. He said, if, you, if you, uh, God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God. I come from him. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Not of my own authority even. He sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. 
because they keep rejecting what he's teaching, they cannot comprehend what he continues to teach. The more you accept what Jesus teaches and the truth of God's word, the more God will let you understand. But he's not going to let you understand things that you uh, are rejecting. And so then he says in verse 44, Ye are of your father, the devil. Ye is emphatic. It means it's, there's a great emphasis on that word, you, ye, in the King James, you. So it, we might read it something like that. You, even you, are of your father, the devil. Wow, that must have been a shock. And the lust of your father ye will do. He that, he was a murderer from the beginning. Remember persuading Cain to kill Abel. And abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, or of his own initiative, because he is a liar and the father of it, the father of all lies. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Then Jesus says this, makes this great challenge. Which of you convinceth me of sin. He says, I've been around you. Some of you I'm living with on a daily basis. But I've been around you now for three years. Can anyone here accuse me of sin? There was no response. That couldn't be said of anybody else there that day. Only of Jesus. So his logic is, if that's true, along with the miracles you've seen and my teaching, and the fact that no one has ever seen me sin, you should therefore listen to my word. You should listen to me. Look at it again. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I, and if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's word. Ye therefore hear them not, because you're not of God. Now he's called them, he's saying they're not of God, they don't know the Father, and that they're of their own father, the devil. They're pretty upset by this time. Look at verse 48. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil. So we, we, we had it right when we said you were a Samaritan and you have a demon, demon-possessed. Talk such craziness as they saw it, madness. Uh, a Samaritan was a slur term because the Jews of Judea felt superior to all other Jews. And the Samaritans were mixed Jewish and Gentiles, uh, mixed together, mixed marriages and they also had a mixture of, uh, of Judaism. They didn't hold to Judaism exactly the way the Judeans did. And so it was a real derogatory term to call someone a Samaritan. Now, Jesus would not have thought of that. I mean, he knew what they were thinking, but it, it wouldn't be to Jesus a, a derogatory term because Jesus loved the Samaritans. He went, he ministered to them, and he stayed with them several days on one occasion, we're told, probably other times as well. And the people received him gladly. They had a great revival there. He had many followers there. 
But to the Jews, this was a great insult. Not only are you a Samaritan, but you have a devil. Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and you do, you do dishonor me. And I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my sayings, he shall never see death. Here's that gospel invitation again that Jesus keeps giving along the way. He usually uses the word believe. Here he just says, if you will keep my sayings. That is, if you will respond correctly to what I'm telling you. And what he's telling them is they need to believe on him as the only Savior. And so if you do that, then you'll never die. That is, you'll never die spiritually. You will live on in heaven forever with Christ. And you'll have what in the other verses when Jesus spoke, eternal life. He used the word believe, and you'll have eternal life. This is just kind of a rephrasing of words to say the same thing. You respond correctly to my words, what I'm teaching, and you'll never die. And uh, verse 52, of course, again, the anger of his crowd seems to be uh, boiling. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And thou sayest, If you man keep my sayings, he shall never taste death. The prophets, the Old Testament prophets are dead, and Moses is dead. And yet you're saying, if we obey you, your message, we will never die. Come on now, they're saying. Art thou greater, verse 53, art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? That, of course, is a rhetorical question, implying the word, of course not. You can't be greater than Abraham. And, uh, and the prophets, the prophets are dead. Whom makest thou thyself? Who are you claiming to be? What, who are you saying you are? That question, though said in sarcasm and anger and hatred, sets up Jesus to answer that question in one of the great moments in the New Testament. Look as it proceeds. Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God, yet ye have not known him. That is, you don't know him. That word know means to be acquainted with, experiential knowledge of. They knew all about God, but they didn't know him personally. Ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say, I know him not, I should be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his sayings. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Wow. Abraham saw the day of Christ. How could he do that? He could, he could see in, uh, in the prophecies and the revelation of, of uh, God to him personally that one day Jesus was coming. 
And, uh, and the whole world could be, uh, have forgiveness if they would put their faith in him. Hebrews elaborates on that somewhat and says that uh, uh, Abraham by faith saw the coming of Christ and the ministry of Christ. Abraham looked forward through time with the eyes of faith and saw the time of Jesus and what Jesus would do. Well, the uh, Jews said, then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old. And hast thou seen Abraham? Again, you see the sarcasm here. You've seen Abraham. You're not even fifty years old. Abraham has been dead a thousand years. And then Jesus says unto them, verse 58, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I'm going to say something really important. I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. What a moment this was. Jesus breaks from normal, correct Greek grammar. He didn't just say, before Abraham was, I was. Or before Abraham was, I existed. He could have said those things. But he went beyond those things and said, before Abraham was, I am. I am was the name of Yahweh in the Old Testament. It was the name of, of God of the Old Testament. Remember when, uh, when God spoke to Moses through the burning bush and said, when Moses said, Who shall I say sent me? What's your name? He said, I am that I am. And then later in the Old Testament, God is called I am. It means I didn't have a beginning. I have, I have no end. I just am. I am. I'm the self-existing one. I'm the sovereign one. I am. So when Jesus breaks with common grammar and says, I am, the Jews knew exactly what he was saying. He was saying, I am the God of the Old Testament. I am Yahweh. I am Jehovah. I am the great I am. What a moment. Liberal scholars often say Jesus never claimed deity. Nothing could be further from the truth. This statement could not be any clearer. And the people he's speaking to understood it clearly. We know that from the next verse. Look at verse 59. Then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Stoning was for those who blasphemed, calling themselves God, or making themselves equal with God. They knew what he was saying, and they picked up their stones. And if it were not for God's providence, they would have stoned him right then and there. But in God's providence, the crowd got confusing. Jesus slipped away. Probably not a miraculous slipping away. As some, some people feel it could be probably more a normal slipping away. The, the wording of the Greek makes it sound like the normal slipping away. What a passage. What a verse. Now, let's watch it. In this video, Jesus acts angry at one point. When, and I, I think this, th these videos do justice to the Scripture, but not 
perfect justice, of course, to the Scripture. If you think about who could betray the Lord Jesus himself, it would be impossible, of course. I think, though Jesus had righteous indignation, every now and then in our clips, he acts like he's out of control. And, and there's a little portion of this in here. But I love that scene. I think you'll love it as well, where he says, Before Abraham was, I am. So it may have looked something like this. Let's watch it. Four minutes. If you obey my teaching, you are really my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are the descendants of Abraham, and we have never been anybody's slaves. What do you mean, then, by saying you will be free? I am telling you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave does not belong to a family permanently, but a son belongs there forever. If the son sets you free, then you will be really free. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are trying to kill me because you will not accept my teaching. I talk about what my father has shown me. But you do what your father has told you. My father is Abraham. If you really were Abraham's children, you would do the same things that he did. All I have ever done is to tell you the truth I heard from God, yet you are trying to kill me. Abraham did nothing like this. You were doing what your father did. God himself is the only father we have, and we are his true children. If God really were your father, you would love me, because I came from God, and now I am here. I did not come on my own authority, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to listen to my message. You are the children of your father, the devil! And you want to follow your father's desires! From the very beginning, he was a murderer and has never been on the side of truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he is only doing what is natural to him because he is a liar and the father of all lies. But I tell the truth and that is why you do not believe me. Which one of you can prove that I am guilty of sin? If I tell the truth, then why do you not believe me? He who comes from God listens to God's words. You, however, are not from God. And that is why you will not listen. Were we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon in you? I have no demon. I honor my father, but you dishonor me. I am not seeking honor for myself. But there is one who is seeking it and who judges in my favor. I am telling you the truth. Whoever obeys my teaching will never die. Now we know for sure that you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets died. Yet you say that whoever obeys your teaching will never die. Our father Abraham died. You do not claim to be greater than Abraham, do you? And the prophets also died. Who do you think you are? If I were to honor myself, that honor would be worth nothing. The one who honors me is my father, the very one you say is your God. You have never known him, but I know. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a lie like you, but I do know him, and I obey his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced that he was to see the time of my coming. 
He saw it, and was glad. You are not even 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham! <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. Then they picked up stones to throw at him. Jesus hid himself and left the temple. What a moment that was when Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus had said earlier in that same chapter to that same group of people, he said to them, You're going to die in your sins unless you believe I am. Don't die in your sins. The same is true of us today. If we do not believe He is who He says He is, we will die in our sins, guilty of our sins, with the wrath of God upon us because of our sins. But God wants to forgive us and cleanse us and give us a home in heaven. He doesn't want us to die in our sins. He wants us to believe on His Son the Lord Jesus. Will you do that? I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And if you really mean it, pray this prayer with me. If you know you're a sinner and you know you need forgiveness. And you're willing to become a, uh, to, to trust Christ and Christ alone. For forgiveness of sin. Then pray this prayer with me and really mean it. Wherever you are. Pray this with me. Dear Lord Jesus. I know I have sinned. I'm a sinner, and I need forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross for me and rose again from the dead. And right now, I call on you as my Lord and Savior. Right now, I'm trusting you as my Savior. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. And give me a home in heaven. I don't want to die in my sin. Thank you for coming into my heart. Like you promised. Help me to live for you now. Every day. And find your joy and peace and purpose. In all of life. Now if you prayed that prayer with me. We would like to pray for you. If you prayed that prayer with me. We would like for you to check on the uh, guest card the guest card you should find right there on Facebook and uh, you can check and fill that out and we would like to send you some literature if you want to mail to the church or if you want to call the church you can do that we'll get back with you leave a message we'd like to help you uh, along your journey now that you've put your faith in Christ 
pray with me. Father, thank you for our time in the Word. Make it profitable to us, each of us. Thank you for those who have called on you as Savior. And we pray you would help them with assurance and to follow you with all their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.